Happiness, undeniably one of the major metrics of a life well lived. Just like money, you can think of it as a kind of currency, something to compare yourself to others by, and yet another way to keep up with the Joneses. But lucky for you, human, thanks to new technological innovations, the appearance of a happy life can be achieved easier than ever. Just follow these steps. Go somewhere cool, smile for the camera, and post. It's that easy. A failing marriage can Instagramly become happily ever after. Facebook that miserable job into the position of your dreams. You can actually look like the jet-setting, event-going kind of person you want everyone to think you are and be envied by all. So why bother doing all the hard work of actually becoming happier when you can just fake it? There's no debate that being happier is a good thing because it feels good to be happy. But actually being happier can be hard. It's one of those things that feels like you should already know how to do. It's a lot easier to just play along, take the photo, send the Christmas card, than it is to admit you're not as happy as you'd like to be and make the changes it would take to have more happiness. Have you ever been to an event you really didn't wanna be at, but you really wanted everyone to know you went to and that you were having such a good time? I have. Our guest today is Gretchen Rubin, and her journey to a happier life meant trading in her law practice to become a writer and eventually write a book on her journey to happiness. Very meta. She had to start over, reassess, research, and then she gave herself a whole year to try new things, to follow that little voice telling her she wasn't as happy as she was meant to be. And since then, she's kept going. She's written more books and started a podcast all about happiness, human nature, and living a better life in general. My name is Sam Lamott. And welcome to the How to Human podcast. So here's me telling on myself. So okay. <laughs> I started listening in the car and um, it, it felt like, um, wow, this is so good. Why is she speaking so fast? It's so sterile. There's no pausing. And then uh, I realized I had it on two times play. Oh, yeah. I've done which, that. <laughs> You're like, they sound like the chipmunks. Yeah. And I said, okay, whoops. Let's let's restart, uh, which shame on you if you're listening to this at two times play. I, no. <laughs> I have no people who can listen to it so fast. Like, I couldn't even tell it was talking. And people, I guess, can train themselves to listen at those very rapid speeds. It's crazy. So I read better than before, and I had a deep resistance mm. to reading The Happiness Project. Ooh, interesting. Um, Why? Well, I have depression. And uh -huh. so most of my life, people have been telling me, you know, if they're like someone I love and care about, and they're like, how are you? And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I'm going through it. They immediately start trying to fix me mm -hmm. and telling me what I can do. And so I've always been very defensive. Uh huh. And also, when I started my journey of looking for happiness, I was just at a different place than you were. I felt like, oh, Gretchen, she had a husband she loves and two kids. And I was like a newly recovered drug addict with nothing. Like, how could she possibly speak to me? But I just started reading and almost instantly, I felt like you just started telling my story. Oh. And I had one of those moments where you realize that you're not so special in what you're going through. Uh -huh. You know, that there are other people and they, their life looks totally different, but a lot of us go on the same journeys. And that's a, I'm not religious, but that's a spiritual moment for me, mm -hmm. you know, where I was like, okay. And then I really enjoyed the book. Oh, and great. I actually started listening to your podcast ah. as well because the, the resistance was down. Well, I, I know what you mean, though, about how sometimes you'll identify with this most unusual, you know, the kind of this most seemingly different people. I remember, I'm a huge, huge fan of Samuel Johnson, you know, the like 18th century lexicographer. And he's so different from me. And yet when I read it, I'm like, I'm exactly like Samuel Johnson. Like everything he says about himself, I completely identify with. I'll be like, that's me. That's me. That's me. I'll be underlining it. And it's always so exciting when that happens, when you you find something that you can really take from, even if it is comes in a very different package. Yeah. So for anyone uh, under a rock who's not familiar with <laughs> you, could you just introduce yourself and tell us who you are? 
So my name is Gretchen Rubin. I'm a writer and a podcaster. Um, I write about happiness, human nature, habits. Uh, I think really my subject is human nature, so it's everything that comes into that. And um, I'm best known for my book, The Happiness Project, but I've written uh, many books. Um, the book that you mentioned at the beginning is Better Than Before, which is a book that I wrote about habit change. And most recently, a book I wrote a book called The Four Tendencies, which is all about a personality framework that I identified that divides all of humanity into four categories. Um, and then on my podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, I talk about happiness and how to be happier with my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who's a TV writer who lives in LA. And so we talk about like, what are the norm, the things you can do as part of your ordinary day to try to be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative. Nice. Well, this podcast loves your podcast. Oh, good. Excellent. I really love the short form ones. Oh, so yeah. Every Monday yeah. I do uh, something called A Little Happier that's just two minutes long. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So I'll listen to the hour long ones when I have an hour. Yeah. But the short ones are, you know, sometimes now I'll just be like, I need a quick reset. And it's yeah. like, just like you wrote about where it's like, I'm not going to say anything profoundly new here. Mm -hmm. Some of the greatest minds have been tackling these subjects. Yes. But it's these things are the easiest things to forget somehow. Yes. Like you yeah. for, you forget, okay, eat a little better. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're you're a mammal that needs yeah. exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they're the best yeah. little resets. Well, that's one of the things that I've really noticed about happiness is that a lot of times it's not that people don't have an idea of what would make them happier. It's they know they'd be happier if they got more sleep or they saw their friends more or they spent more time in nature or they read more or whatever it might be. And the question is just like, how do they get there? Like, what can you do as part of your ordinary day just to bring those elements into your life? And so um, that's one thing I focus a lot on is just like practical ways, because I think a lot of times it isn't a big mystery. Sometimes it's surprising, but often it's not surprising what would be needed to be happier. The question is, OK, like, so what do you do about it? Part of I guess, you know, part of becoming an expert, and I don't know if you identify with that, but I think mm. of you as an expert. It's mm. really a huge part of your work mm -hmm. and people have responded it responded to it really well was the journey mm -hmm. and your training is not in psychology mm -hmm. or happiness mm -hmm. right and no. so I'm curious about the journey where you have this really interesting productive life before you started this project this chapter mm -hmm. of your life right and so I was wondering if you could take us into just as a preface into the journey how you had acclaim and recognition and things that would sound great at a cocktail party. Mm -hmm. But what started this all? I mean, the book, The Happiness Project is, it's almost like a diary of your year mm -hmm. of, I mean, when I was 22 and got sober, I had to like start over and mm -hmm. fig figure out a new way. And this is your, okay, like things aren't mm -hmm. how I would like them. Mm -hmm. I'm going to well, you're right. I, I started my career in law and I I went to Yale Law School. I was editor in chief of uh, the Yale Law Journal, which is the name of the law review there. And I was actually clerking for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when I realized that I actually wanted to be a writer. You know, sometimes people when people make a big switch of profession, sometimes it's because they really don't like what they have. But for me, it was more like this tremendous pull toward writing. You know, I think a lot of people feel an, almost a compulsion toward a certain profession. Like, you know, people who just absolutely have to be doctors or absolutely have to be circus performers. You know, there are people you feel this compulsion. And I definitely felt a compulsion toward writing. And when I was clerking for Justice O'Connor, I got the idea, uh, which turned into my first book, which is a book called Power, Money, Fame, Sex, A User's Guide. And I got sort of obsessed with this subject and doing the research for it. And at a certain point, I just decided, you know what? I would rather fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer. So I mm. just need to give it a shot. I, this is, I'm, I'm basically doing what a person would do if they were writing a book. So I should just say, I'm writing a book and see if I can become a writer. And so I went to the bookstore and bought a book called something like How to Write and Sell Your Nonfiction Book Proposal and just followed the directions. I mean, it was it was wasn't that easy, but, you know, it was pretty straightforward. And so I uh, and then I that was my first book. So that got me onto the path of getting an agent and, you know, becoming a published writer. So I had moved from law into writing. And so I wrote a book. I wrote that book. Then I wrote a biography of Winston Churchill and of JFK and these very short, unconventional structures, um, which were such joys to write those books. And then I wrote this weird little book called Profane Waste in collaboration with an artist. 
about the question of why owners destroy their own possessions, which was a question that had obsessed me since law school. So I finally got that out of my system. And I was finishing up my JFK book when I was I was on a city bus in the pouring rain. And I looked out the window and I thought, what do I want from life anyway? I thought, well, I want to be happy. And I realized I never spent any time thinking about whether I was happy or if I could be happier or even, you know, what did I even think happiness was? I ran out to the library and got a gigantic stack of books. Um, and that's something that happens to me often. Like I will become obsessed with things. Like right now I'm obsessed with color and I'm doing all this work on color for like no good reason. I'm just obsessed about the subject of color. So it was very, it was very uh, normal for me to feel this desire to do a ton of research into something. But the happiness research was just so huge and limitless and fascinating and vast that as I got deeper and deeper into it, at a certain point, I thought, wow, maybe this should be my next book. And I had always thought of it as a happiness project. And so that just became the title of the book, because in my own head, I had started it just for my own benefit. And I thought of it as my happiness project. So that's how and then that's and then once I started in happiness, it really was limitless. And I've basically been staying within the same subject of uh, human nature and how do we have how do we build the lives that we that we want um, ever since then which I think is a good sign when you start continuing yes. to feel like you want more out of this subject well and it's interesting because I think one sign of a of a rich subject is like the more you learn the more you realize you don't know so instead of feeling like I have mastered it, it's almost like, you know, because like habits with my book Habits Better Than Before, I hadn't understood the importance of habits to happiness. And like looking back in the Happiness Project, there's a ton in there about habits, but I didn't even realize it. I didn't understand the importance of the kind of subtopic of habits. And then one day I was like, oh my gosh, habits. And, um, and so then this whole giant part of the world became incredibly energized for me. And I was like, well, now I have to learn everything there is to, about habits. And so, um, yeah, I do feel fortunate that it's a subject that, 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 that the more I know, the bigger it gets. I'm, I'm curious about permission. Mm. And so I, I was curious when you first decided, you know, I mean, you, you had this law mm -hmm. practice. Yes. Um, when you first thought, I mean, sometimes it's an awful feeling where you're like, oh, God, <laughs> I want to be a writer. Yes. You know, where do yes. I start? I was, yeah. I was wondering where permission to let yourself do that like how how dare you become a writer mm. you're six you know you're successful and mm -hmm. you're well trained in law and yeah again I think it was made easier for me by this 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 feeling that I could do nothing else that I had to do it in a way and so that was very overpowering or just like really pull you know I, I always in my mind it's like the death star you know when it's got the millennium falcon and they're like they were in the tractor beam. We can't escape. We have to like let the engines go and just be pulled in or we're going to pull ourselves apart. I was sort of like, that's how I felt. I felt like the, the, it was pulling me, pulling toward me. Um, but I was really lucky because there were a, a, in a couple ways when I was making this big transition. One was that everyone in my life close to me was very supportive of the idea that I would take a big risk. And one of, and, and now, especially now that I'm a parent myself, I realize that sometimes out of the deepest love and the best intentions, people around us don't want us to take risks. They don't want to see us fail. They don't want to see us be hurt. And so they caution us against doing things that they feel like could expose us to pain. And I was very fortunate that my mother, my father, my sister, my husband were all just like, yeah, you know, if that seems like a cool thing to do, yeah, try it. And I remember my father said something that was very meaningful to me. And somebody was like, I, that doesn't sound very supportive. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, no, this was incredibly supportive. So I was getting ready to go out with my that first book. And my, my father said, well, you know, honey, you may not hit it out of the park the first time, but you'll get there. And somebody said, well, that didn't show faith in your ability. And I was like, no, he was reassuring me that it wasn't like a one-time thing. It wasn't like this was going to be the be-all or end-all. Maybe this book would succeed. Maybe it wouldn't succeed. But that didn't have to mean that I had failed or that like I had to give up. It was like, you're in the, if you want to be in here for the long game, you can be in here for the long game. So, And I am very susceptible to the people around me. So I think if they had really advocated against it, I think it would have made it much harder for me to switch or it might have made it much more unpleasant or more complicated than it was. And I was also really lucky because my husband at the same time was making a similar switch. So we had met in law school. We were both working in Washington, D.C. at the same time. 
And he wanted to switch out of law, too. So I got this book about writing a book proposal. And he went to night school at Georgetown or GW, I forget, um, about how to do financial accounting. And then we moved from Washington to New York. And I was like, now I'm doing writing full time. And he got a job in finance because he wanted to switch, too. And I remember there was a day not long after we moved where, you know, we got in the mail and it was the it was um, the reminder that we needed to pay our bar fees, which is what you need to be like a working lawyer in New York. And they're expensive. This is not like 50 bucks. And I said to him, well, should we pay our bar fees? And he's like, no way. We're done with that. We're not paying our bar fees. And I'm like, ooh, okay. Well, I guess we're in it. Um, and so it was, it was very helpful for me that he was going through a similar transition. So we were sort of like, this is just, we've moved to a new city. We're doing something new. Um, we're just, we're, so there was a lot of atmosphere of potential and possibility and just like support for that. So I feel like that made it a lot easier for me to make that switch than, um, than I could imagine it might have otherwise have been. I, that was so much right there. I'm just trying to remember my favorite parts oh. where <laughs> I remember these, uh, kind of unsolicited criticism with the best intentions where it was yeah. just because they loved me. Yeah. You know, my mom has always been very supportive. Go fail. Yeah. Know? Right, right, yeah. right, right. Um, but you know, friends and family who yeah. just want me to be comfortable. Yes. And, um, safe. I know the tractor beam. I'm very familiar with the tractor <laughs> beam where, you know, I, I studied uh, design as opposed to art or writing because uh, it would lead to a job. Uh huh. I just felt like at some point the thought of doing design, I was just getting sick. Like uh -huh. I felt like when I wasn't creating, when yeah. I, I was like not well. Uh -huh. you know? Well, one of the things that I think people should remind themselves of is whenever you're giving people advice about like this is going to prepare you for a career or this is a safe path. What have we seen in the last 15 years? A lot of times people did things thinking like, well, this is the safe thing. Well, it wasn't safe at all. So you may think something's safe. Well, it's, it's not clear that it is safe. So you might as well do what you feel like and do what you want on the theory that people often do best what comes naturally. Because a lot of times the safety play over time ends up not being that safety play, you know? Was it just a curiosity of how can I be more happy? Or was there like a rock bottom of mm. like something has to change? You know... I was pretty happy when I started. So wow. I, I did not start start from a place of despair. Um, I I was pretty happy, but I was just like, you know, I've always had this feeling like, you know, and I think this is a very common feeling. I would call it like the feeling of wanting something more, of thinking like, is this all there is? Or I'm tired of my limitations. You know, I want to expect more from myself. Um, I want to choose the bigger life. I want to have a bigger vision. Um, and I had all these feelings like, oh, there's just sort of all these loose ends that if I could just get them all, if I could just get everything, if I could just turn my attention to things, like I could kind of do a better job and make myself happier. And I have to say that I really do feel like for most people, certainly for me, and I think for a lot of people, there is a lot of low hanging fruit. There are things that you can do that don't take a lot of time, energy or money that can help boost your happiness. Maybe it's a little thing or maybe it's a big thing. But what I found is that I never thought about it. I never thought like, well, how could I be happier? Or how could I have better relationships with other people? Or how could I um, feel more comfortable in my environment? How could my home be more homey? How could I stop losing my temper so much? You know, because I have a very quick temper and a kind of a sharp tongue. Um, how could I do a better job with that? So when I started thinking about it, I started thinking, well, I could do this, I could do that. Um, and so that, so that's sort of what the project was, is it was, it was almost like everything became a billable hour. I was like, I want to start a book group. Okay. That's, that's in the job description, you know, it was so great. Um, uh, so, uh, so, so I was pretty happy when I started and I was pretty happy when I ended, but I, and I'm definitely have a much happier life now that I've spent all this time thinking about what to do. My bet. I mean, you feel happy, right? Well, you know, it's interesting. I say, I think, you know, they say that uh, like happiness is like 50% genetically determined and then 10 to 20% is life circumstances, which is things like education, health, marital status, age, things like that. And then all the rest is very much within our conscious thoughts and actions. And I think if I'm like lying in bed at night, waiting to fall asleep, or I'm like staring into space on the subway, I'm the same as I always was. I'm like a seven, 
when I take those tests, I'm a seven, which Lucky. is pretty. Yeah, I know. Seven's good. <laughs> yeah, seven's great. Seven's good. Yeah. I envy the people that are the nines, but I, seven's good. And um, and I think I'm still a seven, but the but what's different is the experience of my life is so much happier because I just have so much more fun and love and less guilt and less anger and less boredom. And I just, I'm, I have more energy. Um, so it's like the experience of my life is happier, even though my nature is the same. You know, it's like I'm, st- I'm still the same I'm still the same Gretchen, but I just have set up my life in a way that reflects my aims better. In order to be a responsible host, I have to do my best to try and keep this project going. So this is audience funded, which means everything, the recording equipment, the travel, everything that's gone into this project is completely thanks to listeners who contribute a monthly amount. Seriously, you could contribute a dollar and it would help. So If you don't mind, if you like this program and want to hear more of it, please help support us by pledging a monthly amount. It could be $1, $2, 4 or more. You you name the price and it all helps. Right now, one-third of 1% of our listeners contribute a monthly amount. And I'm hoping we could get that to 2%. If 2% of people donated $2 a month, this program would get to continue on. So if you want to contribute, go to patreon.com slash hello human that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash hello human and if you can't give monetarily hey if you like the program write us a review on itunes should only take a minute and it really helps it's called social proof in the business which means that if somebody new discovers us they can see that other people like it and it really helps okay back to the show i've always thought of happiness as kind of like these beautiful but but fleeting moments mm-hmm. where, I mean, they're a gift and they're mm-hmm. there for you to appreciate. And certainly you get a lot more happiness if you do the work. Mm-hmm. And so I was curious when you're not in your groove, when mm-hmm. things are kind of off or, or yeah. thrown off, what are, what are your quick like go-tos? Oh, yes. What are the mantras or yeah. what do you do? Yeah, that 911. Yeah, yeah. Or what do you do in that moment that you'll appreciate when you're back? Right. There's a lot of things that I have, like quick things, interventions. Um, And I think part of what I've been better at is noticing that I'm having a mood instead of feeling like I'm just sort of this passive recipient of, or, or, or like thinking like, well, I feel this way because X, Y, Z and blaming it on something else. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling really uneasy or I'm feeling uncomfortable in my body or I'm feeling like I feel guilty because I spoke harshly to that person or whatever. Like really thinking like, this is why I feel bad. What is the problem? Like what went wrong? But if I need to give myself a quick mood boost, so here are some, some of these are silly, some are less silly. So one is to do 10 jumping jacks. This is like, gives you a quick energy boost. It's very like good. Another is to listen to your favorite upbeat song. This is one of the quickest, easiest ways to intervene in your mood. Another thing is to connect with someone else. Even someone like talking, like making a comment to someone on the street or talking to a clerk in a store. And then, you know, obviously if you're talking to someone uh, who you're closer to, just any kind of human engagement tends to give people a lift, even if they're introverts. Another thing is do like do a good deed. Um, do, do good, feel good. It really works. So if you can think of a good deed to do. I am not a fan of random acts of kindness because I feel like often the recipients of them are sort of puzzled. Um, I'm a fan of non-random acts of kindness. Do something on purpose for somebody who will understand why you are doing what you're doing. I think that's great. That often, I, I have a friend who went through a horrible period where everything was going wrong. And I asked her how she got through it. And she said, I was practically addicted to doing good deeds because that was the only thing that made her feel better. Now, a, a special solace for me, and this doesn't work for everyone, um, is I love, love, love children's literature. Um, and right mm. now, you and I are sitting in my in this room that is my all children's literature practically uh, room. Uh, it's got shelves and shelves of all my favorite works of children's literature. And so often if I'm feeling sad or uneasy or anxious... I will go back and read a great classic of children's literature, all of which I've read like a hundred times. And that always comforts me. And in fact, I can tell how uneasy or upset I am by how far back I go. So if I'm reading something like Lord of the Rings, it's not too bad. (laughs) If I'm reading something like B is for Betsy or, you know, Ramona, it's bad. It's bad. You know, I have, I go way, I go all the way back. Wizard of Oz, Desperate Mm -hmm. Times. And so, so th- those are some of the things um, that I think can can work if you if you if you want to intervene or like spending time with an animal. If you have a if you have a dog or a cat or even just like petting someone else's dog on the street, that's often very comforting. 
Oh, I stop dogs on the street. Yes. And I and I talk to their their owners, their companions and say, I must pet your dog. I know. Especially when I'm away from home. Yes, it's very comforting. We only got a dog about three years ago. I grew up with a dog, but now I really understand that for many people, life isn't complete if they don't have the, the presence of animals in their lives. Were you a seeker? Were you collecting often? Like, were you like a seeker of, of knowledge or you're like a doer, hustler now? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you just, you're moving. I'm, and yeah. the more I, I pay attention to what you're doing, it just seems like you're always in motion. But I was wondering if digesting mm. information is also a big part. One thing I've done since maybe middle school is whenever I read, um, and I'm a voracious reader, I love, love, love to read, I spend a lot of time reading, is I would write down my favorite passages. And it's funny for me now to look back in these early ones because of course I didn't have very good literary taste I would say but I remember why I picked each one um so it's a good kind of uh snapshot of my of my mind at that time um but now but now I have just thousands of pages of notes and quotations that I've taken and um some of these are related to a subject like I have a huge number of quotations say related to the nature of biography um or related to color because these are things that have obsessed me or related to you know um happiness you know, I have just gigantic, gigantic. And then I also have just quotations that don't really fit into any particular category, but that just either are beautifully expressed or it's an interesting idea I'd never thought of. So I think for me, that's my principal way of collecting. Or or if I'm taking notes on something that's really, like right now I'm really obsessed with the placebo response. So I have a gigantic amount of notes that aren't quotations. They're not like beautiful things, but they're just like who to thunk it about the placebo response. Um, and so I do spend a lot of time note-taking um, as part of my process. I mean, I always have paper yes. and pen. Oh, so you do it by hand. I do it by hand, yeah. See, my handwriting is so bad, I have Me to too. type it. Yeah. But you can read it later? Well, I mean, I have, uh, <laughs> I heard uh, a previous guest was in town, so we met up for breakfast, and he said something that I just loved, which was intermittent wellness. Oh. And I just love that. Oh, you right, know. right, right, the phrase, the turn of phrase. The, yeah, the turn of phrase. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but well, they say that writing it by hand helps you remember it better, but then I wouldn't be able to read it, so I have to type. I love modern technology in terms Mm. of writing, getting things down, editing. I love the powers and the efficiency of it. Um, But like for my own journaling or note taking, I don't know. It's just it's it feels like to to feel the paper in your hand. Right, right. I think a lot of people feel that that there's. It's just what I like. Yeah, note taking. And then one thing I do is every Sunday on on my Facebook page, I post a picture of all the books that I've read. Um, that week. And I don't finish any book that I don't like. And so if you see that I finished it, it means I liked it well enough to finish it, but I don't make any comments on it. And so now, actually, I love looking back because it's a record of what I read. I was never organized enough to keep a record in the past, but now that I'm just taking this picture once a week. So that's also fun. It's like, I'll go back and I'm like, oh, I forgot I read that, or I forgot I was really interested in that XYZ subject. I'm really into ways to like hold on to memories and ideas that don't take aren't that hard because I feel like sometimes if something's too um, cumbersome, then I just won't keep it up. So I need to keep everything simple. I yeah. love the psychology of color. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because oh, I, I went to design school. And sure. so it was like I loved being like, oh, wow, you know, 10 percent of the population doesn't trust chartreuse. Ah, you know, like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. a distrustful color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now there's all these. I mean, I had no idea how fascinating it is and how there's like these deep, weird paradoxes and puzzles about color. Yeah, it's been it's been funny. I, this this program has got me reading way I mean, normally I was like, you know, a book every two weeks in this program since I have to acquaint yeah. myself with you guys. I right. mean, it's like 10 books a month at uh-huh. least. And it's a good book club. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. You can get on that the How to Human book club. It's a good one. And so how do you um, make time for reading? Like, have you, is it sort of now that it's your job, you just fit it in better? Or do you like, because I, as somebody who writes about happiness and habits, something people often mention is that they want to read more. So I'm always interested when someone has dramatically increased the amount they're reading. Have, have you found any tricks or any strategies that have made it easier to up your reading so dramatically? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I believe in small breaks uh-huh. often. I love, uh, God, I forgot what it's called, Pomodoro. Or oh, right, so, Pomodoro. Yes. So I love uh, having a little timer and just being like, for 25 minutes, I'm going to do my best on clearing email. And right. that's it. Right. You right, know, right, after right, that, right, it's right. over. It's right. super over. I get a five minute break. Uh huh. And um, I think with writing, reading, most 
things that we love, they're still the easiest things to put off. They are so true. Like my mom said, I never want to sit down and write. I want to watch the morning news. I want to do, you know, other things. And it's the same for me with reading. The number one thing that has worked for me is to forget everything I think I know because Uh I'm a big story machine. Uh I will be in the DMV and I'll be thinking about all the things I need to get done, all the apologies I need to make, Uh all Uh the, you know, ways in which I could be a better partner, parent, whatever. Uh It's just one of my mantras where I go, please just forget everything you think you know because Uh the truth, the truth right then is none of that's happening. What's happening is I'm in a line Uh at the DMV. Uh And so I think for me, the, the way I love to read is to kind of do my little reset and uh-huh. go okay and just be in the sentence uh-huh. and allow yeah. myself yeah. to read it yeah and the more i can and forget, not drift into your own thoughts yeah. yeah i mean all of the things i thought would be catastrophic if i missed them or screwed them up uh-huh sometimes three days later or especially looking back on it like a, a year later yeah. are so insignificant uh-huh. that i try to remember that almost no way i can ruin my life right i can think of a few but yeah. you know um, for instance, if I had screwed up timing and even missed this interview, which right. for me is like such, a, I wanted yeah. to be here so yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a year from now, right. I'm not gonna, hopefully <laughs> I'm not going to be like lashing <laughs> myself yeah, yeah. over it. It'll yeah. just be something that happened. And so yeah, the, the yeah. more I can, it's just something that happened. Yeah. Be in it. And whether I'm writing just button chair, as my mom says, yeah. and doing it. Yeah. One thing I always say to myself is, you're unique, just like everybody else. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's sort of like it's not that what's happening to me isn't real and vital and super central to me, but everybody else is, has exactly the same experience. So, yeah. I yeah. think um, having fun is a big part of yes. happiness. Yes. I, you, there's a chapter play. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, uh, but um, for me, fun is very different than uh-huh. other people. Ooh. Like yeah. I don't club or yeah. i'm not a you know i'm not looking for cocktail parties to right. go to i mean right. fun for me can be like doing work i don't like but then getting to the end and that's like a moment like somehow the two hours of balancing my checkbook yeah is now fun because okay. it's done but can i ask you about that because i'm exactly the same way and i will often say to myself like the most like the most comforting or the most kind of exhilarating thing I could do right now is to sit down and do this ta- this task that I don't want to do because it'll feel so good when it's over. But I worry sometimes, and I wonder if you've ever thought about this, that in a way it's kind of killjoy and that I am sort of driving myself and I totally get the pleasure. And of course, there's a lot of good consequences for being somebody who like in order to have fun is like getting their unpleasant work done. Like there's good to that. But I've really been trying to sort of remind myself that like there's this great line from the cat in the hat like I, I swear to myself I would never like I would never quote um the cat the Dr. Seuss but here I go I can't resist and he said look at me look at me look at me now it is fun to have fun but you have to know how and sometimes I'm like I gotta have real fun you know because I'm I worry that I could be too much of a sort of a killjoy do you ever worry about that like you have I, to actually have fun <laughs> Yes. Okay. So I recognize instantly when you said that, like, yes, Sam, you should. <laughs> <laughs> you and I are, let's party together. We'll do our email uh, backlog. <laughs> yeah. uh, you should probably uh, say yes to going to the park with your friends more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's hard. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I have this strange fear, which I love in some ways, the strange fear of my own mortality, uh-huh. where it's like, my job is to do the most I can before I die to make death less scary because I've done. Yes. And so you on your deathbed, you feel like I've lived a life that I wanted to lead, and that's the yeah. goal. I've seen. Yes. I've seen one person that comes to mind that did not reach death gracefully. Mm-hmm. They were. They did not want to die at their last moment, and it was horrifying because they felt that they had not. Yeah, ac- they, they hadn't had... lived the life they wanted. Yeah. I, so. Um, so it, it wasn't a fear. It wasn't a fear of like what was to come. It was more like re- deep, deep regret. Like squandering it, yeah. Squandering, ooh, yeah. yes. Which is painful and real, and I couldn't yes. be like, it's okay. Yeah. You know, I just had to be like, well, I'm here, right. you know? Yeah. But yes, I mean, I get some of that goofing off with my son. Uh-huh, yeah, which children are good for that. My mom, even though she was a single parent and hustling, I mean, you know, nobody was going to make her career for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did manage to make a lot of Lego time for me. Mm-hmm. She'd get on her hands and knees and do Lego time. 
And my son's a little bit older. He's into uh, this like iPad game. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't been a gamer in years, yeah. but I finally said like, all right, move aside kids. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. totally, I'm into it. totally beat, yeah. like crushed them at yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah, now yeah. I'm really cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's like, I didn't know dad had it in him. But yeah, no, children are good for that because it, and it, it also reminds you that things are fun. Like decorating cupcakes is fun and going to a, an amusement park is fun and blowing bubbles is fun. Like it's fun for an adult too, but you wouldn't necessarily naturally do it. But with a child, it's more natural to do that. I am bad at self-starting. I'm, oh, gosh, I feel like this program is more and more me finding out like, That's good. oh gosh. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I have been, see, I don't naturally go there. Yes. But sometimes, um, like for instance, I went to uh, clown school, you know, Ooh. which was just like a day that the, it's like this um, gymnastics place. And it was just a, a Friday, free Friday thing yeah. where they teach you how to spin plates and whatnot. I oh. had such a good time. Really? Yeah. And That's so cool. It, I'm thinking about trying to learn to play the ukulele. I've had the same thought. Roz Chask, you know, who's the like legendary New Yorker cartoonist, um, did an interview on the Happier podcast. And um, and she's a person who's struggled with the whole kind of very dark side of her life. And, um, and she was like saying, like, there is nothing more fun than the ukulele. And it's not that hard. And I'm super unmusical. But I was like, hmm. Maybe I could like I could strum a few tunes. Everything sounds good on a ukulele. So that again, it's like maybe that would be something fun. That's like clown school. Yeah, I found like, a. I was wanted to do the ukulele. That's there funny. you go. Yeah, and uh, I found a class that oh, was wow. like it was like a group thing, but it was like a hundred bucks and like ah. once a week, and I never did it. Yeah, so maybe. Well, apparently there's a lot of YouTube videos that can teach you how to do it for free, <sighs> just like in your free time. That's hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think if it doesn't naturally line up with my desire, like if I want to take class on uh, After Effects for right. video editing yeah. or get better at Illustrator or Photoshop, yes. I can put yeah. on Skillshare. Yeah, this yeah. program's not sponsored by Skillshare. Maybe. <laughs> Meg. <Yeah. laughs> uh, and I can learn that. But yeah. to, to get out of that bubble, that weight, yeah. I think I need to like have some accountability. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, the teacher's going to be sad at me. Yeah, yeah. Know, yeah no, right. Exactly. Right. I write about that in the Four Tennessees book. But I also feel like for me, sometimes it's like if I if I make it part of the, my project, uh, then it almost becomes like part of work for me. Um, so like uh, like I'm obsessed with the sense of smell. And like I have all these weird smells and I know a lot about the sense of smell. And and um, it's, and I have this other friend who's really obsessed with smell. And uh, every once in a while I'll be like, well, we need to go on a smell field trip. And it's almost like a billable hour for me because I'm like, well, I almost take like a professional interest in the sense of smell. Somehow it, it matters. And, um, and so I, I feel like it's easier to follow through on that because it almost feels like it's tied. Like I wrote in Happier at Home, I wrote a lot about the sense of smell. It feels almost like work-related and because it's work-related it's easier to follow through whereas something that's just purely like my sister was saying that she wanted to take like a two-hour flower arranging class and I was like oh I should completely do that that would be really fun and like what's more beautiful than flowers and that would be a really fun thing to do for two hours but now I'm sort of like how am I going to make time for that like maybe I'll do it with my daughter and then it'll be like a mother-daughter thing and then that gets done because it sort of fits into this somehow I love that line temp- somehow it matters yeah 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 okay yeah. Maybe that'll be my, pro- yeah. Well, my yeah, project. Yeah, you and I need week. to, we, we will vow to have more fun. I know I have like scheduled time to goof off in my calendar. <laughs> it's just pathetic. Yes. <laughs> but the thing is, you have to recognize it about yourself. If you're somebody who finds it hard to have find time to have fun, then you need to figure it out. It's like sometimes people think, well, it just, or like friends. It's like, well, it's fun to hang out with friends. So I don't need to worry about making time for friends. It should be spontaneous. It's like, well, if it hasn't happened in six months, you need to figure it out. One of my favorite parts of the book was reading about Jamie. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm also in love with a Jamie. Oh, you are. There <laughs> so, you go. But I'm more Jamie. Oh. Uh, so that was that was a blast. You know, he never reads anything that I write. I fought reading my mom's books for a long time. It's very weird. I think there's kind of that's interesting that you say that because people are often surprised when I tell them that, but I completely understand. And there is kind of a veil um, that you go behind. That feels weird when it's a member of your own family. Well, I, I, I can give you a few reasons. Yeah. That give may, me, yeah. Maybe Jamie uh, yeah. will identify with. Yeah. Is when you write like you sound, uh-huh. like you're, the way you talk to me now is very similar to the way you write, uh-huh. which is great. It can be really strange to read their writing because you can, you know their voice, you can hear their voice uh-huh. saying it to you, but they're not there. Oh, so it's just, just kind of so uncanny. Accustomed, you're just so accustomed to when you hear their voice, they're there with you. Uh huh. 
now you're like reading it. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. That's always been a thing for me. Oh, interesting. I know people, I know sometimes when you try to better yourself in some way, if you're with people who aren't into that or you're with somebody who's not into that, there can be a lot of resistance because mm-hmm. you're kind of growing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. moving on and they're not. Mm-hmm. seems like Jamie was a great participant mm. in this project with you with a healthy boundary yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. But I'd love for you to just talk about how it entered your relationship or the way you handle things in your relationship. Mm. Well, it's interesting that you said that Jamie's uh, is uh, like an, was a participant because I think in one way he was and in one way he wasn't. So one thing people often say to me about a happiness project is they're like, well, I really want to do it, but like my sweetheart is not interested. And I'm like, well, my sweetheart was not interested either. Like Jamie is not the kind of person who wants to, like a, a scientist friend of mine was trying to convince me that Jamie should score me twice a day on a one to 10 scale to see if I was actually getting happier during uh, this project. He, he lets you hide the electronics <laughs> yeah, in the room. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, I'm like, no, Jamie is not going to do that. And Jamie was not going to do an exercise like, let's go around the table and say three things that we're grateful for. Like Jamie is not that kind of person. So Jamie did not participate. And so I would say to people who are facing that, you don't have to wait for somebody else to join you. Like, this is something that you can do on your own. I did it on my own. Um, And, you know, the only person we can change is ourselves. So you really, it's like, don't wait for somebody else to buy in because they may never feel like they want to do something. On the other hand, Jamie was definitely a beneficiary. And I think he would say that, like, everything I did to make myself happier and calmer and more fun loving and more patient and just like have everything, you know, be more organized so that there was not as much rushing around, like all these things he definitely benefited from. And like me working so much on my short temper, like that had really bothered Jamie, just like this harshness. It's like, who wants that? You There's know? nothing worse than being on the bad end of a smart, articulate person. Oh, I, it, you know, and I'm also a blamer. Like I'm one, like it's weird because like I hate any plot having to do with unjust accusation, but I'm constantly, like I'm constantly looking for people to blame. So yeah, like it's no fun. It's <laughs> yeah, no fun to be the first. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, um, so, so I would, I think he would say that it definitely made him happier. I definitely made our children happier, but he didn't, but I didn't feel like he had to like join in or, or go through the kind of like, he didn't have a theme for every month. He didn't set himself resolutions that said, and it's interesting. I write about this in better than before. One thing is we pick up habits from other people, like in a flash for good and for bad. And so like one thing is I gave up, um, I basically eat an extremely low carb diet. That's a whole other story. But over time, Jamie's become more and more that way. Or like I started doing high intensity strength training and then Jamie started doing high intensity strength training. So he, he, um, he kind of followed along in some ways, or like we do, um, we give a, a warm greeting and farewell every time somebody comes and goes. Jamie got really into that. He's a very huggy person, so he really likes that. So it definitely changed things that he did very significantly, but he didn't do it in a kind of systematic way that I did. Yeah, well, I guess he, he picked what he liked. He picked and, what and he le- wanted to do. left what he didn't. Exactly, yeah. So yeah. how horrible is it that you can't change people? That's I what, know, <laughs> that's right? One of my, I, I know, it's I, one of the sad truths of happiness. When I am uh, not well, Mm-hmm. I, I think I know better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you would just listen to me. I know. My sister calls me a happiness bully. Because the... I'm always like, <laughs> let me just sit you down and tell you what needs needs to happen here. One of the best things in my relationships, and it came at an extreme cost. It came at really wrecking or damaging relationships I had. Mm. Because I felt like I could always see the potential in these people, Mm -hmm. but they just needed to do what I thought they needed to Mm -hmm. do to live it out. And the truth is that, yeah, they might have the potential, but, you know, if they're not doing it, they might not really want it, even Mm -hmm. if they tell you that they do. Yeah. I mean, it it cost me relationships that I really cared about Uh trying to change them. And Uh so one of the greatest breakthroughs for me was to consider it like, you're buying a used car uh-huh. that you don't get to work on. Uh-huh. You know, it's its own classic. And if you try and change the paint job, you're going to lower the value of it. Right. Yeah. There's this great Andy Warhol quotation. Let me see if I can get it right. Because he was talking about the fact that he was sometimes criticized for sort of filming people um, as they were sort of disintegrating. Because, you know, a lot of the people around him sort of lost it. And he said something like, you, you know, you can't change people. They have to change themselves. And sometimes they die before they change, before they decide they want to change. Of course, he said it in a much more brilliant Andy Warhol way. But, yeah, I mean, you really, you really can't. 
And that's very frustrating. And that's one of the things actually I write about a lot in The Four Tendencies, which is one of the things that I would see people around me is they would say something like, it's so important to me to exercise. I really want to exercise. I know I would be happier if I could exercise. I'm really promising myself that I'm going to start exercising. And then they wouldn't. And I would be like, well, why aren't you? Because you're saying all these things and you seem so sincere. So why is it not happening? So that's when like the upholder questioner Bledger and Rebel is trying to understand like, how does that happen? And then like, what can you do about it? Um, given what kind of person you are or the kind of person someone else is. Um, because it does seem very mystifying to us sometimes when there does seem to be a desire for change, but the change doesn't happen. I feel like it's, it's sincere, but not quite there. Where it's like, they sincerely want it, but at some point, talk is so cheap. Mm -hmm. And at some point, wanting it would mean doing it. Well, that's true, too. That's for sure. Like, I never try to use the word motivation because I think motivation is a very tricky word for exactly the reason that you say. It kind of it kind of combines the idea of wanting an outcome and being willing to work toward an outcome where those are very distinct. And the word motivation kind of scrambles them together where they really need to be kept separate. But in my in my framework, which has to do with how a person meets outer expectations like a work deadline and how they meet inner expectations like a like a New Year's resolution. Like one thing I see for a lot of people, huge the largest number of people is what I would call an obliger. And obligers are people who readily meet outer expectations but struggle to meet inner expectations. So like I had a friend who she said, the weird thing is when I was on in the, on my high school track team, I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, I would say, well, you meet outer expectations, but you struggle to meet inner expectations. So when you had a team and a coach expecting you, you had no trouble showing up. But now that you're trying to go on your own, you're struggling. And so for some people, I'm like, if you keep saying you want to exercise and you feel like you really do truly want to exercise, maybe what you need is outer accountability. So maybe you need to work out with a trainer or take a class where they take attendance or work out with a friend who's going to be annoyed if you don't show up or take your dog who's going to be so disappointed if he doesn't get his daily run or think of your duty to be a role model for someone else or think about your duty to your future self. Sam right now doesn't want to exercise, but future Sam is going to be so disappointed if Sam right now doesn't exercise. There's a million ways to create outer accountability. And for some people, that's crucial. Now, for some people, it's actually counterproductive. People that I call rebels, they want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. The idea that they're going to show up for a class on Saturday at 10 a.m., no, they're not going to do that. So they should think about it in a different way. There's ways rebels can think about that. So that's what the whole four tendencies about is trying to understand. It doesn't cover every situation, but it covers a lot of situations where people's actions don't really quite meet up with what their aims are. I'm really looking for. I, I watched a teaser video oh, you put good. on about the four tendencies. I'm, I'm looking forward oh, to good, it. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. Um, well, there's a quiz on my site, GretchenRubin.com. More than a million people now have taken this quiz, so you can find out what your tendency is. Okay. Yeah. I love That would be fun to do with some friends, yeah. too. No, a lot of people yeah. do it in groups. It's hilarious. Did like, you ever do the love language quiz? I love the love languages. Oh, my God. That was one oh, of what's the your love language? Do you um, remember? My love language that I like to receive, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Is acts of service. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And words of affirmation. So is my girlfriend. Oh, uh, see, my husband, I think, is acts of service. So yeah, we were like so the same pairing. My Jamie and I, like, obviously, if that's your thing, you try and give yeah, it away. Yeah, yeah, and so exactly. she was giving me words of affirmation. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're Thanks, like, yeah, mom. Put your money you know? where your mouth is. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, let's um, see. Let's see. And some me, I would, be, I would be like, oh, you need to get this done. So yeah. I'm going to do it yes. for you. And she'd be like, that's not what I need. And I know. And so it's, we, it is fascinating. We took that quiz and now it's like, oh my gosh, if she, and she runs a business too, so she'll just like help me because yeah. you know, it's a hustle working yeah, for is. yourself. And, and so it can take many forms. It can be like, let me just put, put together some publications and a little press release for you. That's what yeah. she does. She yeah, does communications. Yeah. And that means so I much to I just want to cry yeah. when she does it because it's like- yeah. You did this for me. Right. But this is a really important point that's that's relevant to the four tendencies because because you made the distinction. What is the four tendency that you like to receive? Because the whole Gary Chapman's whole point, and I think what really is the genius of his book is he's like, you have to speak the language that someone understands. It's like if somebody only understands Chinese, you have to speak to them in Chinese. It doesn't matter that you're more comfortable speaking English. They're not going to understand you. And same thing with love languages. You may not feel like giving gifts as a way of showing love. You may feel like, well, I'm frugal. I don't like to give gifts, but if your partner is somebody who wants has receiving gifts as a love language, deal with it. You have to learn to speak their language. And same thing with the four tendencies. So people often try to communicate in the way that would be most effective with them. And they don't understand why it doesn't work with other people. Because somebody because if I'm an upholder, which I am, and I'm speaking to an obliger like my sister, or a questioner like my Jamie is a questioner. 
it's not as effective because it's like I'm not pushing their button. And with the tendencies, it teaches you like, like with my husband as a questioner, he always needs to know why. So if I have to, if I'm asking him to do, he just has to ask me to do something and I don't need to know why. He's like, go find the mortgage. Okay, fine. Like, I don't need to, why do I care why you need that? I don't care. I'll go find it. <laughs> um, I know where it is. You don't. But if I said, to him, I said to my husband, I called him one day, I was like, what's your work address? And he said, why do you want to know? I'm like, Can't you, why do we have to have a conversation about this? I like, it's already boring. But he just needs to know why. So now I know. I'm like, um, what time are we leaving for brunch? Because I'm wondering if I have time to go to the gym. Or, you know, can you pick up sliced turkey? Because our daughter needs to be able to pack lunch for a, a trip. I need to tell him why if I'm asking him to do something. And so now it's like it's just we have much less conflict because I know how to speak his language, which is the he's a questioner. So his language is why should I? Yeah, Jamie is my spirit animal. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Jamie is my spirit animal. Okay, I'm going to get him a t-shirt that says that. Yeah. I I, I hope you you'll agree with me. Like being happier is pretty easy. If you read the Happiness Project and you just do January, mm, right? Energy. Energy. If you just sleep well, make sure you sleep well, like maintenance, exercise yeah. a little better, yeah. eat a little better, you will be undoubtedly happier than you started. But being happy in the world for me can be tough. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm I'm pretty sensitive. So just to expand that thought, when I am in the groove, when I am really grateful for the day or excited for the day and happy about it, I almost feel like a pressure to meet people at their happiness level mm-hmm. where they're like, yeah, I know they're not doing so hot. And they'll be like, how are you doing? And rather than being like, I'm doing fantastic and this mm-hmm. might be the best day ever. Right. I'm like. I'm doing okay. Right, 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 right. Do you... Well, that's emotional contagion, which is that we pick up emotions from each other. So it might even be that, like, in a way, you're you're sort of modulating to, to like, make them comfortable. But it also might be that you're catching their mood. Like, since they're at a lower point, you catch that. Yeah, it's the same if, like, you know, I, I know somebody who's, like, single and lonely. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, don't mention your girlfriend. Don't yeah. mention happy. Yeah. A job, I would come in just, like, glowing because i mean i had started off with you know not a desirable job but i'd really carved a job i loved out of this Mm -hmm. company and so i would just come in beaming and i felt like people that weren't doing particularly well or weren't particularly happy would kind of like chip Mm. try to chip away at me and it wasn't successful but it was kind of like i just felt that snarkiness or attack or like why are you so happy you know what are you so happy about do you do you connect with that yeah, I know what you mean. And it is it is this puzzling thing where there's this poem uh, or it's really a prayer and it goes through like, um, you know, and it says, Jesus, protect these. And it goes through this list of people and it's like who you would think, like the sick and, you know, um, and then it says, protect your joyful ones. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting because and I wrote on my my site, I was like, there's something and I was like, that's very surprising. Why would you think that the joyful ones need to be protected? And yet there is something often that people want to attack the joyful ones. And why is that? It's just something in human nature where sometimes people just want to they want to make make you see the dark side or they want to make you see be more realistic or like don't get your hopes up or whatever. And it was interesting because after I wrote that, a lot of people um, responded saying, I'm a joyful one and I don't understand why people are always trying to bring me down. Like they feel that, you know, they feel or they feel that people will. And I don't know if you've ever felt this where people almost like in a vampiric way want to feed on your happy energy. It's like they want you to kind of bear the burden the emotional burden because it seems like you have more energy. And so I think people often feel that, too. But I think that uh, it is it's interesting. And this comes up in habits where sometimes and you alluded to this earlier, where sometimes someone will see someone else making a positive change and they feel very challenged by that. They might feel judged like now that you're doing it this way, you must look down on me or they might feel guilty like, well, you're doing that. So maybe I should be doing that, but I don't want to do that or I can't do that. Or they feel resentful like, well, now you want to do this and that's less convenient for me. It's more convenient for me when we do things the old way because that's what works for me. And so people aren't always supportive. Like they don't always really make it easy to be happy or have your good habits. And that I think that is something that you just sort of have to be aware of that maybe, well, this is this is a certain environment or this is a certain person who I kind of um, can anticipate might sort of try to bring me down. How do you protect your joy? Like, do you 
defy that contagious pull? Do you just go, no, I'm not going to participate in lowering myself to make you comfortable? Or how do you protect your joy? I'm very susceptible to it. I have to say, yeah. I'm somebody who really, really does pick up other people's emotional energy. And in a way, maybe I'm kind of lucky because I spend a lot of time by myself every day. I need a ton of solitude. And, um, and I have a lot of solitude. So that helps me because I think then I kind of come back to myself. But whenever I come into other contact with other people, I feel very much that I pick up their moods. Um, and um, and I, th I think some people are more sensitive than others. And I, I think if you are sensitive, you sort of have to realize that and figure out ways to build in insulation. I mean, some things that people have done, because I've, I've, I've written a lot about this, one is um, if there's somebody whose presence drags you down, maybe you could figure out ways to email to communicate with that person instead of seeing them face-to-face -face mm. or talking to them on the phone, whether it's somebody at work or maybe it's a family member. Like maybe it's really upsetting to see your mother, but you could email with her more often so you could feel like you're being a dutiful child or like checking in. But if it's through t words on page, that might be less emotionally fraught than if you're seeing a person or talking to them. Obviously, it's going to be less emotionally satisfying, but maybe you you need to minimize the effect of that emotional. Um, another thing is to be in the presence of someone else. Often, if you're one on one with somebody, you feel their you feel kind of their energy more directly. Whereas if there's more people around, so if there's somebody who you feel like is like that, maybe you want to try to avoid seeing them one-on-one, -on -one, but to see them in a meeting or in a family gathering or whatever. You know, I remember uh, there was, I, I, I remember posting, this is hilarious, I was posting about this and somebody had, had talked about some person in her life and um, and somebody said, well, you, you know, you really need to create boundaries and maybe you need to take a break and like for six months, just like not see this person and like went on and had all these like helpful advice about basically creating like a very strict insulation. And the person said, She's 81 years old. She's my mother. She lives in my basement. I have to deal with her every day. And it's like, yeah, you do. Like, there's a lot of, you're just like, she's there. Um, and that's hard because it is hard to maintain your own emotional state when other people are in a very different place. Because it does, it does, we're, we're so social in that way. We're so affected by each other. Yeah, the the boundaries can yes. can be tough, but yes. I mean it's so it, it is really important to if something's toxic, you gotta yeah. go. You gotta you know? yeah, figure and, and out a way. That's being at peace with. I can't change them. Well, I know? think also one thing that happens a lot is that if it, one person might feel like I want to cheer you up, I am going to mm. make you happier. We can't make someone else be happier, and um, a lot of times we just annoy them if we try. <laughs> like if you talk to people, like they'll be like, "I hate it when people say just smile or it's not so bad," or you know, they get very annoyed by that. So just like let other people be the way they are, and not feel like you need to pour out your energy or drain yourself to try to change their mood. It's true that happy people tend to make people happier, and so you might be able to lift them if you're a happy person. But I think the idea that you should um, like super engage with them and think like, well, I'll just you know lift this person's spirits up, you know, by force, and then and then they will cease to be a drain on me because they'll be happy too. It just doesn't usually work out like that. Yeah, when I'm in like a, a chemical bout of depression, yeah. which, which I can generally tell because I'm I haven't changed anything. Yeah, yeah. My best friends who I call just sit with me yeah you know and they, they don't, don't try to yeah they're just you like we're talking about it oh you're on a yeah a blue bloods binge cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> what episode are you on yeah. i'll come over yeah and they don't they don't try and, and fix it and i yeah. think it's just uh they know at, at some level they know well one thing i write about in the happiness project is i feel like there's happiness unhappiness and depression and depression to me really feels like a third category which yeah. is very serious needs you know every tool in the arsenal thrown at it um, but it's really kind of different from unhappiness. And I have a friend who said to me, I'm a very happy person who suffers from frequent depression. That's how I feel. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, that's a really, I think for a lot of people, it's hard to understand that, but I completely understand that. So yeah, so I think depression is its own beast. A lot of the things that work to be happier, I've heard from people who suffer from depression that it does help. It can help. Oh yeah. But I would never say that the kind of things that I'm writing about are meant to address depression, which I really have. Um, I do think they're helpful. It's, yeah. Uh, you do think it's helpful. I do. I mean, I, I suffer from really bad depression uh -huh. um, that if it's not well managed by yes. by doing the yeah. same kind of stuff that's in yeah. this book. Getting enough sleep, uh, getting yeah, exercise. It can get really, yeah. really bad. The difference is I think we've been so bombarded with the magic word gurus where it's mm -hmm. like, if you just think this, it's going to mm -hmm. like the right. secret was devastating for us depressives yeah. because oh. people were just like, oh, it's your just fault. Think yeah. happy thoughts, yes. right? Yeah. Just do this. Yeah. And 
That and uh, I remember uh, Tony Robbins' line where he was just kind of like bitter on a news program, yeah, yeah. and they they totally thought he would be on board with yeah. the oh, secret. Right? Oh. And his his one line response was, "Go sit in your garden and think the weeds away." You oh, know? <laughs> and, there you go. Um, I allow myself to have depression. Uh huh. It will pass. Uh-huh. That's a fact. Yeah. And the best thing that I can do is this stuff just without the expectation that it will make me happy. Mm -hmm. It's more like you're doing this to just keep the machinery going. I do it actually as a gift to my happy self when I come out of it. Oh, yeah, interesting. And so it's like drudging, you know, I don't want to sleep well. I don't want to keep, you know, and and it's not my best. So I might work for, I'm kind of a workaholic, so I might work for 12 to 15 hours when I'm really on it. And that my best in depression might look like four or five hours, uh-huh. but I, I just do it. But you're careful I do my to best. do it. Yeah. And so it's a gift for when I come out of it. And when I come out of it, you know, I'm not 15 pounds heavier. Yes. I might be like three or four, yeah, right. you know, and I just can look back and be like, thank you, depressed Sam. Right, yeah. Thank you for giving me this. Yeah. Because uh-huh. it makes the, the happiness more happy. That's the kind of thing, though, that probably you learned the hard way. Oh yeah, I've yeah. learned. I've I've gone to the University of Hard, no- hard Knocks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I have a, a master's. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have yeah, a PhD yeah, yeah. in Hard Knocks. Yeah, I mean that's one of the things that's interesting about habits is sometimes people are sort of like, well, if I can't be perfect, if I can't be good, I might as well go all the way. And you're like, well, you know what? There's a big difference between your best and being like the absolute worst. You know, you can try to do what you can. I mean, I think the thing for everybody is like. Are you as happy as you can be given the reality of your circumstances and your nature at this moment? It's like if your grandfather is in the hospital, of course you're going to feel sad. Like it wouldn't even be appropriate to want to feel happier there because you're having, you know, you're feeling bad and that's natural. That's like you wouldn't wish that away. But are you as happy as you can be given the circumstances? So it's like I think sometimes when people are feel bad or when they're depressed or when they're in grief or something, they kind of run it out and they they do stay up late or they don't eat at all and they they burn themselves out kind of unnecessarily where you, you're like, well, it's true that you have all these bad feelings, but can you try to take care of yourself so that you don't you're just not completely swept away by this? You know, or can you be as happy as you can be under the circumstances? Yeah, your your best is fluid. And, Your best and, is fluid, absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. Yes, and, and on yes. any given day, I mean, really, all you can do is your best. I don't know yeah. if you read the Four Agreements. Yeah, I loved how the the author put. I can't remember the name of the author. Yeah, he's got it. It's uh, Miguel, Ruiz. Miguel Ruiz is that it, or something Ruiz? Yeah. Anyway, like uh, I know that because he's next to me in the books on the bookshelf. Oh, in nice. The bookstore. Yeah. Uh, the best part was like, if you do your best, nobody can compel you to have done better. Yes. You know, like you can sit in front of a judge and be like, I did my best, Your yeah. Honor. Like yeah. that is it it has a ceiling and it has a different ceiling yes. for each day. Well, and then there's just that feeling, that feeling of satisfaction when you get well, sort of back to what you were saying about your deathbed. Like, how are you gonna feel in your deathbed? Same thing, like every time you crawl into bed at night, you're like, Well, was this a day when I did the best that I could, or did I like waste it rewatching episodes of the office? you know, for the 50th time all day long or whatever. Yeah. You want to feel like you, and, and, and it makes you feel better. I think people, yeah. I think we do feel better and happier and healthier and more productive and more creative when we are um, trying to do what we can, but you're right. It's like not every day is going to be the same. Yeah. I give myself permission to be sad, mm-hmm. but not permission to be reckless, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And so I have to responsibly be sad. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One thing some people do, I don't think this would necessarily work with depression, but it can work with anxiety, is to schedule time to worry. So let's say you're really, really worried, like, and it sounds really funny, but it's like, okay, I'm really, like, I'm really, really worried about my daughter going off to college or something like that. It's like, okay, from four four o'clock to five o'clock today is the time when I'm going to worry. And it sort of frees your mind because you're like, it's sort of like Pomodoro method for worry. Um, and it works really well for people who are managing anxiety because it's like, okay, I'm going to give this thing the attention it deserves. I need to worry about it, but I, it's not going to, it's not going to swallow me up. It's sort of like, there's a time for it, but I know I have that time for it. So yeah. then I'll do it. Or like, I'm not going to worry about this until January 20th. It's not, it's not ready to be worried about. So I'll just worry about it then. And then it's like, okay, now we'll start to worry about I it. I love that. Cause I don't try to demonize any part of me, even mm-hmm. the the critic that's hard on myself or any of the bad parts. And that is such, a, that's honoring your worries. You're like, well, yeah. you know, they're not crazy, crazy I mean, yeah. sometimes, but I love it. 
I like to end this. Pro- You've been so generous oh, with yeah, your time. Oh, yeah, this is so fun. I, I want like you to talk look, all day. Uh, well, I want you to look back on this as yeah. a positive experience. Yeah, yeah, I guess I'll go to bed tonight and think, oh, this is a great day. I <laughs> Not had a those great bums talk who Sam went Lamont. way over. Yeah. But I'd like to end it, and I'm going to change the prompt a little bit. So if for whatever reason you were struck with amnesia, mm. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and you couldn't remember anything. What is the recorded message you would want to send to yourself of these are the most important things, mm. Gretchen, mm. you need to remember? Oh, it all just comes down to one phrase. So this is very easy. Be Gretchen. That is my first personal commandment. And of course, everybody would have to substitute their own name. But um, it, what I realized is really for me to be happy, I just I have to I can only have a happy life on the basis of my own nature, my own values, my own temperament, my own interests. And the more my life reflects that, then the happier I am. And so the more that I can just be Gretchen, whatever that means, because it means I want to accept myself, but also expect more from myself. It sounds very simple, but I think it's the great challenge of our lives is to know ourselves and to live up to ourselves. So I would just say, be Gretchen and hope that you get your memory back. (laughs) Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you. This was so much fun. And that's it for today's interview. Make sure to subscribe and check out the website if you want some more of our stuff. Go to hellohumans.co. We're collecting a bunch of stories on real human life stuff, depression, divorce, you name it. And if what you're going through isn't on there, submit a story because we're trying to collect them all. Thank you for listening. Become a patron if you can. Write a review if you can. And we're going to do our best to keep this thing going. All righty. Have a great day.